So I would like to start this morning with reading a letter to you. It might be a little bit untraditional, but bear with me here. Duty, decency, reliability, honor, dignity, respect. These are all qualities that my father not only held in high esteem, but practiced every day during his time on this earth. He was a serious and disciplined man, but he could never resist the opportunity to laugh with friends and loved ones, given half the chance. He saw a lot during his lifetime, a world ravaged by war. He himself served in the armed forces in Vietnam in an uncertain war with the Cold War, the oil crisis in Iraq, all understandably influencing his views on the post-war world in which he himself grew up and later raised his own family let alone the social and cultural revolution exploding around him with the onset of the 1960s. Dad was an only child who lived in and around Sydney up until his retirement from the motor industry, where he moved with mom to the central coast. They married young at age 20 and remained happily together for over half a century. When free of their parental responsibilities, dad would whisk mom off for some mad adventure, often without her knowing where they were going. As a father of three, though, he was often happiest when left to his own devices, whether it was building a shed, tending to the garden, or fixing up one of his cars. He was a self-professed petrol head and loved nothing more than jumping in the car and driving. Sometimes for hours for some much-needed relief and relaxation from a family of five. More often than not, he wouldn't be gone for that long but admitted that he loved driving so much he looked for any excuse to have a spin. His precious Austin Healey was his most prized possession, a car that he drove till the day he died. When Susan, Claire, and myself moved out of home and started families of our own, I began to understand my father in a new way. We're able to find time to sit and discuss what it means to a parent, particularly in a modern world that's fast-changing and very different to the one in which either of us were born. Dad gave sage advice on everything, from teaching my kids manners and responsibility to the other important area of family life, keeping one's partner happy and the marriage healthy and alive. Dad was a straightforward man who demanded a little from those around him and who expected only the best for his three children, provided he heard regularly from us all and saw us whenever possible. He was content. And although in his final years, we'd all moved on to different parts of the world, that bond was never broken. To me, Dad's finest quality was his patience and inherent ability to listen, to absorb, and to offer a point of view based on quiet, measured wisdom. I'll never forget the time when I asked him what I should, what I should do about having to move overseas for my career. Do what you feel, what you believe is right, he said. Follow your gut, your heart, and you can't go wrong follow God. It's difficult to imagine him not being around. I'm not sure how we will all cope. The grandchildren, Billy and Leo, will miss him dearly. It's strange to think that I can't just give him a call or pop around. Dad lived a long and happy life and only succumbed to ill health right at the very end. He was an imposing figure of a man, a tall, dark, handsome character, whose reassuring presence we all felt during difficult times. As we gather here today to remember and commemorate his life, let bid him farewell as we mourn the loss of a lively, dignified soul, a soul that brought joy and fulfillment to many and whose legacy will live on forever. So as I told you, it's a letter that maybe you wouldn't think of happening today. But before we begin a, this discussion into Second Timothy today, I want us to begin with thinking about endings. Thinking about not the new with the new school year now upon us, and with the new of a harvest season, a new harvest season beginning, the new of a new pastor possibly becoming um, your new pastor here at Bloomer Baptist Church for the Bloomer family, and a new year coming your way. But I want us to focus just for a minute on endings, upon legacies, upon death. I know that sounds a little bit grim, but let's think about final memories for just a moment. Just like this letter, which I admit, it's not a letter I wrote, and it's not a letter that, that I've used before. But let's think about a question. Say you died tonight. Again, a very grim thought. But say you died today. 
What would people remember about you? Now, I know we all come from different life stages. I see a lot of different ages in this room. And that's one reason I was a bit scared about even bringing this topic up to you. But I follow God's leading in wanting to, wanting to share this with you. So I'll let you think of the details. So I don't make it any more grim. You can think of the how. You can think of the why. But let's just focus on what comes after. What legacy would you have left behind? What would people say at your funeral? Now transition to not the reality of what would they say, but what would you like them to say? And as you're all thinking in your minds what you would like people to say about you, I want to ask, what would you want them to say? I know what I would want them to say about me. And sometimes that's a very convicting thought because I look to my life and think, would they really say that? But I'd want them to say that Patrick was a man of God, a disciple of Christ, a great father to his wife, a great, a great father to his wife, a great husband to his wife, a great father to his children. It's good to have a little laugh on a Sunday morning. But I would like people to, to say that I'm a man of God, a disciple of Christ, a good husband, and a good father, and a good friend to the community. I don't think I need to say any more. I would hope and think that you would want to say the same things. But what would people really say about you? Are you living a life that leaves that kind of legacy behind? Or are you living a life that just you're living one day at a time and whatever happens, happens? Are you living a purpose life that really makes God proud, your family proud, your kids proud? Or are you living a life that only makes you proud? So back to 2 Timothy now, chapter 1. And thank you, Rebecca, for reading that for me this morning. Here is a man, Paul, here if, who, if you look at his outward circumstances, he has every reason to be anxious and uncertain about his life. His life is basically over. He is in a dungeon in Rome, awaiting execution from the evil tyrant Nero. He was destitute and lost. You must not think of our prisons in America, and I haven't seen the prisons in Wisconsin or Chippewa Falls, and I know it's a, often a joke, but the prisons in America can be somewhat of a joke, too, depending on where you're at. We're not thinking about the prisons of America where they have, they have TV and they have outdoor time to enjoy the weather, and they have workout rooms and three meals a day and a bed and a toilet, but we're thinking about the prisons of Rome. I don't know about any of you, but when I'm looking at Bible studies and when I'm looking at small group studies, at-home studies. I enjoy looking to YouTube and the web and to video sermons that people have done overseas in Rome because it really helps me to understand the Bible when I can really picture what things were like back in that time. And things have come so far that it's hard for us to understand that. But Paul was not in a dungeon like that. Not in a dungeon like we would think of today, but he was in a dungeon in Rome. He was more than likely chained to Roman guard 24-7 and sitting up against a wall, a cement wall. So maybe some of you have a cement basement, which I would like to say my basement in my house is more like a dungeon. That's a little bit more likely what you could picture is him leaning up against a cement wall on a cement floor filled with moisture and water, rats crawling by him and chained to the wall or a table or to a Roman guard. He probably didn't even have a coat or a blanket to keep him warm. He was not a world-renowned best-selling author or conference speaker. You see, we, we have a way of putting pastors sometimes and biblical people on a pedestal and thinking of them as these celebrities. I know I do. I love Paul's life because I look at Paul's life and I think of my life. And I think of this man that was unworthy to serve God. He was a man that persecuted Christians, killed the men of God. And yet God converted him and turned him around to be such a powerful man to spread the gospel. What a man. But we have these celebrities, pastors today, which have million-dollar houses. This wasn't Paul. Paul was a man that served humbly. Yet here we find him in, in jail in a dungeon. At this point, he didn't know, as one author put it, that centuries later, men would name their sons Paul and the do their dogs Nero. He was just a lonely old man chained to Roman guard with so many reasons for disappointment. Alone. Or was he truly alone? So as he awaited death, and we get into 2 Timothy 1 here, as he awaited death, Paul had every reason to say, 
I'm not so sure about the way I've lived my life. He had every reason to just be disappointed and down and mad and upset. I'm not going to advise others to follow my example, he could say. And yet he exudes confident assurance in God and exerts encouragement, encourages Timothy and us to follow his example. This man has something to tell us about investing our lives for God. Despite persecution, despite transitions in life, Despite new seasons in life, we can live for God. Other places, he tells us to live like him. So that's very interesting for me to think of, because I think, could I tell somebody to live like me? I mean, it sounds good. I'm a pastor. You might think, well, you should tell people live like you. You're, you're a man of God. But I'm not perfect either. I always think, man, I should be reading God's word more. I should be praying to him more. I should be doing more for him. And I'm sure you think the same. Could you tell somebody to live like you? And that's what Paul says. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I know Rebecca already read this, but I'd like to read it again to you. I'm going to focus just right now on verses 1 to 4 as we talk about that section in Scripture. So if you'd like, you can turn there with me. If not, that's fine as well. You can just listen to my voice. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. And it starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. What an amazing opening we have to a letter there. So maybe you think of yourself writing a letter every Every few weeks, I try and write prayer letters to people in our church. And I always have such a hard time trying to decide, how do you start? Even with my sermons, preparing the sermon or preparing the direction, the hardest thing is how do you start your message? We have authors in this congregation, and I'm sure he knows what I'm talking about. It's hard to get started. But Paul, he starts in such a great way. Not only does he tell, tell us who he is, Paul, but he claims authority. An apostle of Christ Jesus and by the will of God. That's what he's writing this by. He's writing this by the will of God as an apostle of Christ Jesus to the promise of life that is found in Christ Jesus. We've already got an evangelistic message here, a message of salvation, that life is found in Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child. So again, now we know who he's writing to. Break that down. We know who wrote it. We know who wrote it it to. We got the authority. My beloved child. We know that Timothy was not his true child, but he was child in the faith in God. For Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul had brought Timothy to the faith and he had trained him. He had taught him on how to preach, how to be a man of God, how to lead these communities. And Paul had left Timothy in this community to continue to witness them, to them, to continue to serve them. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as, I, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So we're going to stop there for a moment. But what really surprises me about this scripture and why I just love this scripture, and I think it's so empowering to us, is to look to Paul's example. He says, live like me. Okay, well, here's Paul writing a letter from prison. And yet he's not focusing on himself and his own sadness, his own anger. You think of any, of any of us in our sinful ways when we're going through a trial, a struggle, a persecution. And we don't like to give Satan the glory for that or the attention for that. We like to just say, oh, I got a cold like I have this week. But Satan will try and pull us down in any way he can. And we need to remember we serve a powerful God. But... Paul here could be focusing on all that's going wrong in his life. He could be writing Timothy and saying, Timothy, I know you're going through struggles, but man, you got nothing on me. I'm in, dun- I'm in a dungeon. I- I'm laying on a cold, moist floor. But no, he doesn't do that. He focuses on Timothy. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He's greeting him saying, wow, Timothy, I pray that you will have grace. That you will have mercy. He's not focused on himself, but he's focused on him, his brother in Christ. I thank God whom I serve. Again, 
if you were in this circumstance or this situation as Paul was in, would you be thanking God? Are you thanking God in your life now, whatever you're going through, whatever you go through in life, whether it be illness or sickness or family issues, are you thanking God? That's the example we see from Paul. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. So often we can be so focused on ourselves in these times that we're not focused on other people, but Paul shows us here, God shows us here through Paul, that we can focus on other people, and by focusing on other people, we serve God, we glorify God. So, today we're talking about guarding, or more specifically, how we should be guardians of the faith, guardians of our faith, the deposits that God has given us, as Rebecca read that whole passage there, and how will we invest our lives, these deposits that God has given us starting today? Are we really using the gifts that he has given us? After all, why put off till tomorrow what you can start today, what you can use today? Why pose when you can do? I recently heard a great illustration about a tribal leader of a, of a tribe in Africa, and he basically went to one of his bodybuilders in the tribe, and he says, wow, you have such great muscles. But what do you use them for? And the bodybuilder kind of got pumped up and he was excited. Well, let me show you what I use them for. And he starts doing all these poses and all the fancy poses that muscle builders do. And he finally gets done. And he's, he's all excited for what he just showed his tribal leader. And the tribal leader just looks at him and says, but what do you use them for? May we not be muscle builders that all we do is pose. We come to church to be able to learn on Sunday, but we don't learn what we, what, we don't use what we learn. May we not just be posers, but we be doers. And we have a question for you now is, what do we guard with our lives? What do you guard? Do you guard your family? Do you guard your jobs? Do you guard your money? Do you guard your God? Do you guard your material possessions? Are we guardians of anything in this life? Do you spend more energy guarding the things in your life than what God would have for you and what God would want you to guard. God has given us some instructions on what to guard, and that's what this message is about. We should be guardians of the faith. We've been entrusted with a huge responsibility, one which benefits not only God, but also others and also ourselves. As we guard our faith, as we guard the spiritual gifts that God has given us, as we guard the message of salvation that we have within us, we are honoring God, glorifying Him, but we're also helping ourselves, strengthening ourselves to guard what's within us. And we're also strengthening those around us. We have been instructed to guard many things in Scripture, but what I'm focusing on today is guarding the deposit entrusted to you, guarding your faith. And what we need to do is use our faith. When we talk about guarding, one of the best ways to guard is by actively using so as we begin this new season in life and we fan the flame with new commitments, a new pastor, a new harvest season, a new school year, and another new year coming upon us fast, a new winter coming upon us fast, I'm going to challenge you to fan the flame. And this is hard. I know personally how hard it can be to fan the flame, especially if you're in a situation like Paul and you're being persecuted and you're being hurt whatever it is that's holding you back. In verses 5 to 14, we read, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what we are reading here is the beginning of Paul's final letters, final words, final instructions to his son in the faith, Timothy. I think it's very important to read that, that as we read this, we realize we don't know how long it was until Paul would be, well, dead. This is his final words, or what might be his final words to Timothy. And yet Paul seems concerned that Timothy might be weakening under the pressure, might be weakening under the persecution that he's going through in his city. So instead of focusing on himself and on Paul's life, he's focusing on Timothy. He's focusing on his brother, on his son, and how he might be able to help him. He's worried that Timothy might lose his faith. He's worried that he might have temptation to compromise. Would you compromise? I know I would struggle with wanting to compromise. But when your views are not popular or or when strong, articulate, influential people oppose you, it's easy to think you might compromise. But we need to look towards God. And we need to use the people that God has put in our life to be able to strengthen us and encourage us, just like Paul is doing for Timothy. When the threat of pain and sufferings are real, we need to turn to our brothers, our sisters in Christ, and our mentors that we have in life. The CCC group was a great illustration of this for me to see this week. Coffee, Coke, and conversation, I was told. And, of course, we added on prayer and prayer at the end. But that was great. I loved spending time with them. And I was able to see how they care for one another. Did you know there's actually 59 one another's of the Bible? That's how important it was for God for us to understand how we should be caring for our brothers and sisters. He put 59 one another's in the Bible. I encourage you, I challenge you to look those up someday. But Paul is sending a message of encouragement to Timothy and a reminder a challenge, if you would. We too need these reminders. How should we invest our lives in the coming season? Should we watch less TV? Should we change the shows we watch? Should we stop watching the Packers? Okay, that was a joke. I just want that known. That was a joke. But in all seriousness, how are we investing our lives? Are we guarding our face in a way that fans the flame? Or are we coming to church on Sunday and then not doing much the rest of the week? Should we spend less time on social media? Should we read more books or less books? I believe in order to look at how we invest our lives and the future, we must look at what are we doing now? What are we doing for our spiritual health? And are, are we really doing anything? Recently, I was reading a devotion called Do, Doing What Matters. And so often in life, we get so caught up doing things, but they're not really things that matter. Are we doing things that truly matter? Evaluate your life. A few years back, I started doing blacksmithing. And that's where this illustration of fan the flame kind of comes from, along with the scripture reference here. But it was one of those things that, guys, I hate to say my wife was right, but she was right. It was one of those things I started. And from the moment I started, she said, I give it three months. Well, unfortunately, I think she had looked ahead and saw the time of year it was, and in three months it was January, and it was cold, it was snowing, and my garage is not heated. So she was right. After the winter, I didn't really start it back up. But I got some great illustrations from blacksmithing, and what got me into it is my friend Tyler Edwards and I, we just were knife people. We like knives, and we started watching the TV show on the History Channel called Forged in Fire. Anybody heard of Forged in Fire? Any History Channel people? Okay, great. It's really fun to watch them create these things. I thought, how cool would it be to make your own knives? Well, sometimes, sometimes us men, we get these dreams, and then eventually we realize we're not those people. But I did get to make a knife out of a railroad spike, a railroad nail, and it's pretty cool. I gave it to my dad, and we got to make some hooks for like a fireplace. But I learned in order to, in order to have a good fire, a good cool fire, a good hot fire, you need to fan the flame. You need to give oxygen. And that's a lot harder than what it would sound. Because if anybody's ever tried to start a fire when you're camping, you blow on it to, to give it more heat. But if you blow on it at the wrong time, it can just make it go out too. So you have to fan the flame. 
but you have to do it in a knowledgeable way that it doesn't just put it out, but it really causes it to spark, to ignite, and to grow. Well, that's what we need to do with our faith to make it bigger. Our lives with Christ are of much greater importance than the things of this world. Mark 8.36 tells us, For what good is it to gain the whole world but lose our soul? You may think of a Toby Mac song that basically has those same lyrics in it. And I've heard an interview with him as well, which he basically says, you might have heard it in one of my other sermons, that what good is your life if you're not living for God? And somebody had asked Toby Mac, when are you going to stop? You've had a long career of making music. And he says, my career is celebrating and praising God. I'm not stopping till the day I die. I love that interview. But we were created for so much more than video games, TVs, movies, books. Sorry, Dwayne. But, or even earthly relationships. We were created to serve, to glorify God, our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe. And it doesn't mean that those other things are not good. Watching the Packers game is a great thing. It's great to build relationships and bond with one another and to spend time with each other. Reading books, writing books is a great thing and a great achievement. And all of these things can be great things if you're devoting the right amount of time to them and the right amount of time to God. But so many times we fan the flame with our relationships, we fan the flame with our hobbies, but we're not truly fanning the flame for God. So are we doing that task? Are you doing that task in your life? Should we fan the flame? I believe we should. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, as Rebecca shared with you. And what does this mean to you? What does it mean right now? What does it mean one month from now? Do we struggle to remember that we have this spirit within us that gives us power and love and self-discipline? I think we need reminded of this power. We were created in the image of God. I once read a book by... Craig Rochelle, that was a great reminder. It was called Fight. And it was a great reminder that we're created in the image of God. And the image of God is strong. The image of God is a warrior. He's a fighter. He's a creator. He's a leader. And so often, we just want to kind of hide in the shadows when we're going through something instead of recognizing that you have the spirit within you. You have God within you to give you strength and encourage you. And that's what that's about. Paul is telling us here, telling Timothy here, that you have the spirit within you that gives you power, love, and self-discipline. And whatever Satan throws your way, you can conquer. You can get over. You can be victorious. Fan the flame. Let him be used in your life. Let him be seen in your life. For verse 7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So how are we using these special blessings that God has given us? Are we standing strong against the world? The devil and his deceiving ways, because the Bible tells us that Satan is a deceiver. Are we backing down? Are we hiding in the shadows? Because we must never be ashamed. Verses 8 to 14, we read that, that we should never be ashamed. And after fanning the flame, igniting the passion and blessings which God gives us, we should be living our lives unashamed, just as Romans 1.16 says. And if you listen to any hip-hop, any rappers right now in the Christian world, that's what they're all about. It's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, <coughs> for it is the power of God for salvation. Why would we be afraid of the gospel, ashamed of the gospel, when that's the very thing that gives us life, that gives us power, that gives us the spirit within us? To the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, <coughs> the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Are we living unashamed lives? You see, when we live unashamed lives, we live powerful lives. If you're looking for something to write down, if you're a note taker like me, I'll generally write three pages of notes in a sermon Pastors I've served under in the past, they, they kind of joke that I just do a whole transcript of their sermon. I've actually used my laptop at times because I just like taking such detailed notes. But if you're taking notes, write this down. We live unashamed lives. If we, when we live unashamed lives, we live powerful lives. When we live, when we live unashamed lives, we live powerful lives. Here's another. When we depend on our faith, we depend on God. 
and God never lets us down. The world will let you down, but when you fan the flame and when you live unashamed lives and you depend on him, he will never let you down. We do not let anything get in our ways. We may be beat down, but never destroyed. Just as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9 tells us, We are pressed in all sides, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, as I was trying to decide from a month ago, what would I bring to you guys? What would I preach to you guys? I was praying to God, God, just lead me in the direction that you know the people Bloomer need to go. Lead me to the scripture that you want them to hear. I was led to this scripture because I believe that we need to trust in God. And right now, you guys need to trust in God. It's easy for me to say that because I don't know any of you. And I, I want to think that you guys are trusting in God. But what you're about to go through is a new transition in life. Not just with new school. It's new school year, a new harvest season, new winter coming upon you. But with a new pastor coming into your life. And whether that be myself or somebody else, it's a transition. It's a change. And change is not always easy. But if we trust in the Lord, if we trust in God, and if we guard our faith, we guard the gifts that he's given us, we guard and we use the gifts that he's given us, we have nothing to be afraid of. Despite persecutions, and yes, there will be persecutions, and I hope not in this church, but in the world, in your daily lives, you will be persecuted. It's not a matter of if you'll be persecuted, but when you'll be persecuted. I like to say that if you're not being persecuted in any way, if Satan never attacks your life, then maybe just maybe you're not making yourself a worthy opponent. An opponent which Satan says, wow, I need to take them down because they're trying to take me down. A man and woman of God who is making a difference as Paul and Timothy was. But we need to remember, 2 Corinthians 4 is such a powerful verse that we are oppressed on all sides, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because our God is always with us. Our God is always within us as we have the Spirit living within us. So, wow. The power behind that verse. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have... Scripture like Psalm 23, the first psalm, the first scripture that I ever memorized. And I admit my parents bribed me. Maybe you guys have bribed your kids before. If you, if you memorize this scripture, I'll go get you ice cream. That's what happened. I was probably about eight years old and my parents had bribed me. But it's one of the greatest things they ever did is it got me in God's word. And they said, if you memorize this, I'll get you ice cream. But God is our shepherd. And the great thing about a shepherd is he doesn't lead you astray, but he leads you to protect you. He guides you. He keeps you from walking off the cliff. He keeps you out of the wolf's mouth, the lion's mouth, the bear's mouth. And as Tim was joking about leading me into the lion's den at Hardy's, at CCC, all I was thinking about is, I have nothing to fear. The Lord is my shepherd. And I thought about David. And when he went up against Goliath and Saul was saying, but you're just a man of your youth. And I was reminded of that, that David said, I may be a man of my youth, but I'm a shepherd. And when my sheep would go astray and be caught in the mouth of a bear, he would strike him down and he serves a mighty God. And that's us. You see, we have nothing to be afraid of. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable always. Excel in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Even in death, we are victorious. We will live forever. So we have nothing to be afraid of. Despite whatever happens in our life, we have nothing to be afraid of. We need to be guardians of our faith. We need to guard the perfect faith that God has given us. The message that God has given us of salvation. We need to guard that. But our guarding should not be a passive act, an act that we just keep within us. It should be an active act where we're letting it out to the world and sharing it. And what better way to increase your faith, increase the gifts that God's given you, than by using those gifts, using the faith that he's given you. So I skipped a page here in my notes, but I want to go back to it. 
because I want to make sure that you guys know that we all have to think of what are we guarding. Because everybody is guarding something. A mother guards her children. A, a husband guards his wife. A soldier guards his country. A doctor guards her patients. We are all guarding something in life. And when you think of the word guard, what do you think of? Maybe you think of a guard dog or the National Guard, the Royal Guard, maybe even Guardians of the Galaxy. You might notice on the front of your bulletin, I thank Jessica for being creative. That I believe that's the font of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I love that she did that, not because I recommend that movie at all, but it's because what comes to people's minds when they hear the word guard. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word guard? After all, this is a very popular movie right now. It's a new movie about to come out on DVD. I looked at the preview at one time, and it had over 50 million views. And I tell you that not to share with you that I want you to go watch that movie. But I share that with you just to illustrate that people are always thinking about guarding something in life. But sometimes they need reminded that are they really guarding the things that matter in life? There's so many other movies and book series about guarding. You've got the Avengers, you've got Superman, Flash, Arrow. Even in your sports, there's these hidden messages of guarding. You must guard the ball. You must guard the goal. You must guard your city, as Arrow would say. Or you must guard your, your people and your life in the city, as Flash would say. Superman guards the world because that's how powerful he is. Well, what are we guarding? The definition of guard is to watch over in order to protect and control. Or the noun version is... A person who keeps watch, especially a soldier or other person formally assigned to protect a person or to control access to a place. So as I begin to end, I want to explain this symbol behind there. You see, almost everything I do, no matter how strange, and my wife sometimes really notices how strange some stuff I do, is but I always have a purpose. So the symbol that's up there behind there is called a Cairo symbol. And some of you may have seen it before. I saw some pictures on your Facebook of Pastor Pat Conlon who had a t-shirt on with that. But I don't know if he ever explained it to you. I've always kind of been amazed with the history behind that symbol. So I thought I'd, I'd explain it to you. So have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been scared? Maybe you're kind of afraid now, scared now, something going on in your life an illness, a family relationship issue, school, your job. Well, this symbol kind of originates out of a story about somebody being scared. Maybe you're a bit scared or nervous now, thinking about you've got to do a vote this afternoon for a candidate that you don't know. And I'm here for you to ask any questions. The deacons have put that information out there, but it's still a scary time. Well, this symbol is a story about a man who is scared. I first learned about this symbol in college, and I just got interested and researched it more and more from there. But the story goes like this. In approximately the year 312 AD, 312, that's a long time ago, the Emperor Constantine was at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. He did not know how he was going to win this battle, and he was scared. But he had a dream one night, a vision from God, is how the story goes telling him to paint this symbol on his soldier's shields, and he would have victory. The story says that he woke up the next morning, and the first thing he did, he did was he followed the vision. He ordered his men to all paint this symbol on his shields. I can only imagine his men, the soldiers, thinking, what is going on here? What is, what is this guy thinking? What, why would I paint this on my shield? How is that going to make me fight better with my sword? How's that going to make me guard better with my shield just because I have a symbol on there? And why does this really matter? You see, it's, it's a little weird for us, especially to hear as, as I tell you this story. And the story literally says that he had a vision from God. And I'll tell you, I don't know if that's true. And I, I don't think it matters if it's true or not. But he followed it, and the story goes that he won the battle. And why this matters to my story here is because Cairo, the name of the symbol, is short for Christ in Greek. And the Latin saying that generally goes along with this, generally underneath, 
of this symbol, the X and the P for the first two letters of Christ in Greek. Underneath of it, you'll see in hoc signo vincis, which in Latin, and I'm not going to claim to know Latin, but I know Google. So in Google language, Latin means in hoc signo vincis, in this sign, you will conquer. In this sign, you will have victory. So I'm not sure if you followed long during all that. I don't see anybody sleeping, so that's a good thing. But, but what, I tell, what I'll tell you, I'll piece it all together. <coughs> in this sign, you will conquer. Well, the sign is the symbol for Christ. So in the name of Christ, you will have victory. In the name of Christ, you will conquer. That's why I've always been fascinated with that symbol. And it's just a great reminder for us in life. And we don't have to put that symbol on our shields. We don't have to put it on our arm as a tattoo. But what we do have to remember is that the name of Christ brings us power. The faith that we have in Jesus gives us power and love and self-discipline and control. And as we fan the flame, as we live unashamed lives, as we trust in God, we will have victory in this life or the next. We have nothing to be afraid of. So as you go through transitions in life, whatever Satan tries to deceive you with, whatever Satan tries to, tries to destroy that's going around you, you can depend on God. You can trust God, and you can trust the spirit that he's already given you to give you strength. Just as David would when he faced the lions and bears, and he knew that I serve the mighty God, the one true God, the God of creation. And that's the same God that we serve. We serve the God of creation. So as my wife have come up here twice now, we keep saying it just looks like God's country up here. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And I know that's, that's kind of preferential or it, it, depends, it depends on perspectives. We come from Ohio where it's all flat. So we see all these hills and we think, oh, it's pretty. It's hills. It's farm country. It's lakes. It's rivers. I'm an outdoors guy. So I just love it. Some other people may say, wow, I hate these hills. But to me, it looks like God's country and I love it. Um, so what transition in your life is about to happen? And are you depending on the God of creation that created this beautiful God country around you? As you see the sunset and the sunrise, as I saw at Jessica's house the other night, and I'm just in amazement. I'm like, wow, I've never seen the sunset like this. There's a song that goes, I see your face in every sunrise. And it's just amazing to think you are the God of creation. And that's the very same God that lives within us. He will save you in this life or in the next. Even in death, we'll be victorious. This symbol has been used in more times than just that with Emperor Constantine. This symbol goes far beyond that, where I've also seen in World War I and World War II, this symbol would be hidden in mansions in the countryside where it was safe places for people going against, for secret agents going against Germany. I've seen where it's used at secret underground entrances behind a fireplace to be able to have a tunnel out of the mansion and beyond the forest to be able to help people escape. So I don't claim to know everything about this symbol, but what I know is in the name of Christ, we'll be victorious. And many people throughout history have used this symbol, whether they believe in our God or not, to know that this symbol can save. And it can save us too. God may be about to rock your world with a new pastor. Maybe he won't. But will you guard your faith? Will you depend on the name of Jesus Christ to help you through the changes, the transition? What do you need to do to change in this new season of life? To focus on guarding your faith, to focus more on Christ through it all. Will you use the gifts that he's given you? Will you trust in him and live unashamed and use what he's given you? To keep Satan from bringing you down, from turning you around as he allowed Jonah to turn around from God's will. But God never gave up on Jonah and he'll never give up on you. So as I start to conclude here, I want to ask you once more, will you fan the flame? What do you have to change in your life? What do you have to change to become a better Christian, a better disciple of Christ Jesus? I've already seen great ways where you live for one another in this church. But I don't know you to know what are you doing in the community. 
What are you doing for your own self? What are you doing for your family? Do we need to read our Bible more? I would say I do. Do we need to be more of a man of the word? A disciple of God. Do we need to do more family devotions with our children? More prayer time with our family? More prayer time in the community? Do we need to serve people more and stop caring so much about our own time? And sometimes that's hard. Because I don't know about things in Wisconsin. I know it's a little bit more casual than Dayton, Ohio. But I know when we go to Walmart or my or wherever it is, generally you're on a mission. Men, a lot of you might agree with me. It's like, let's get in and get out. I've already got a map of the store in my head. I know exactly where I need to go. But sometimes we need to be willing to throw that away and think about, let's look for somebody that I can help. Somebody that I can serve. Somebody that I can help show the love of God to. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Don't allow persecution to hold you back from using your faith and your gifts. You see, people use that verse in many wrongful ways. So I'm trying not to use that verse in wrongful ways. People love to put it, I, I'm a runner, or I used to be a runner. I haven't ran much lately. So I've run a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks and a half marathon. I've done bike, biking and I've played football and baseball and softball, and people love to use that verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can finish this race, this half marathon, and that's not how it's meant to be. What it's meant to be is about persecution and completing the race that God has given us, to stand up against the devil and his ways, just as Paul has encouraged Timothy. Guard your faith in a way which is not just passive, but active. Guard your faith Fan your flame in a way that makes Satan want to attack, but he can't attack because he can't even get over those walls that you've built because they're just too tall because you serve a mighty God. Don't allow the walls to slowly crumble either. Don't just build them up and think, okay, I've done my work. I've, I've done everything I need to do, but continue to work on those walls. Continue to keep them strong and always adding to them so that nothing can get over them unless you say, come in. Increase your knowledge and your relationship with God in all you do. And as I end, I want to read to you just a little bit of Second Timothy chapter 2, the next chapter. And maybe this would lead into a future series here, whether it be with me or someone else. But it's just a great way to end as Paul gives Timothy some application steps to remember through his persecution that he's going through. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm only reading a few verses, we'll start with verses 1 to 3. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. It goes like this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, again, that you have strength in Jesus and his name. You have the spirit within you. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I love that because it reminds us of two powerful things. Not only are you a soldier, and a soldier is in a battle. He's in a war. And if he's not in a battle right now, he's preparing for battle. And he's always working on himself. That's what we are. We are soldiers and we're in a battle and we should either be preparing for battle... Or we should be ready for battle right now. But as we're in battle, we need to remember, as he tells us, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others and share in suffering. God has given us many people in our lives who can share in suffering with us, who can help us and strengthen us and encourage us. God's already given you those people. Are you using them? And are you being those people for others? And then let's go ahead and skip to verse 11. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. But, this is what I want to focus on as you leave, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, rightly handling the word of truth. Do yourself, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So we began this message talking about legacies and what legacy are you leaving behind 
How would people think of you? If they wrote a letter about you, a eulogy about you, how would they think about you? What legacy would they leave behind? Is it what you would want them to leave behind? But more importantly, is it what God would want them to say about you? Does it point to God like it should? And as I leave you, I want you to remember to fan the flame, power, love, and self-discipline, and the steps that you do that with, and what makes you a good worker, one approved by God, is by fanning this flame, never being ashamed, and trusting in the Lord. Because you are the guardians of your faith, not of the galaxy, but your faith. And you have the spirit within you to give you the strength to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the relationship that you desire to have with us. And that you never leave us or forsake us. And we had a great reminder of that this morning. And it's been a great reminder for us today. And Lord, I just, even as I'm praying right now, I know that the next few days are going to be awesome and amazing for my family. Because I know that when, when we're doing great things for you, Satan wants to attack, Lord. And as I knew I was preparing the sermon for you and to give to your people about persecution and how to stand strong, you find that when you're serving you in this way, Satan tries to attack. So as we've been under the weather and we've been sick this week, I know that now that we're past this, Lord, you're going to give us strength to, to get over it because we continue to serve you. Lord, I pray for the deacons of this church. I pray for the people of this church as they continue to serve you through their life and through this transition in their life with a new pastor. I pray that they continue to look to you, that they fan the flame. They rely on the power and the self-discipline, the love that you give by the spirit that's within them. I pray that they trust in you and live unashamed lives. And they, they just ignite their faith, ignite the flame that's inside of them. I just think of the sun that you created. And I just pray that they, go, that, that they just ignite it into such a sun that they reflect your light in such a way that everyone around them will see. Lord, we know that we will go through persecution. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. But if we depend on you, you will give us strength. Give us strength today. In your holy and powerful name we pray, Lord. Amen.